want to preach to you this morning a message along the lines of Father's Day. When I was thinking about Father's Day, I think Father's Day, not, not to dismiss Mother's Day, but I, I think Father's Day is uh, one of the most important days that we celebrate because I think uh, fathers aren't celebrated enough and, and men in the kingdom aren't celebrated enough. And when you look at statistics as far as the shape of our country and our nation, and when you look at statistics about how, how men end up in jail and the, the linkage to the lack of, of fatherhood and having fathers in our life, I, I really feel like we have a, a fatherless generation and we have a, a fatherhood epidemic, if you will. And so I believe that the enemy uh, is trying to take out men and is trying to take out fathers because he knows that if he could take out men and he could take out fathers, that he can undermine the most sacred relationship that God created, which is marriage between one man and one woman. And, And if he could take out the marriage, then he could take out the family unit. And so I believe that there's a target on our backs as, as men, and, and even over this whole aspect of fatherhood, uh, thinking over the course of my life and the way that, that I grew up, and I, I had a, a, a challenging childhood, let me just say it that way. And, and it's, I have to admit to you that being a pastor ha- has been challenging in some ways in that my past, uh, the enemy wants to use that sometimes to bring it back up. And yet my past is what's made me who I am. Like I wouldn't be standing here before you today. Sometimes people have asked me, hey, would you change anything about your past and and your life? And and as hard as it is to say, I, I say no, emphatically, because I had to go through what I went through in order to become who God called me to become and who he's made me to be. And, and there was a lot of pain in that, in particular in my early childhood years. And it's hard for me as a pastor to talk about some of these things because I don't wanna dishonor my father who's still alive and in Florida and probably watching online right now. And so let me just start out by saying, Dad, I love you and I'm so grateful for you. And uh, I'm so grateful that God got a hold of both of our hearts and, and reconciled our relationship and so happy Father's Day. Uh, I hope you're blessed and, and I hope my stepbrothers take care of you well today in Jesus name. But I struggle talking about my past because I have my mother sitting on the front row. She'll be here second service and my dad watches online and I wanna be very careful not to dishonor them. So when I talk about my past, I, I wanna make sure that you understand that God has redeemed me. He's redeemed my relationship with my father and with my mother. But what I went through is part of my story, and it's a part of my testimony. And I had to go through some tests. My parents divorced when I was two years old, and, and my mom, in pursuit of her acting career, uh, dropped me off at my grandparents when I was five, and my grandmother started taking care of me, and my grandfather, who, who wasn't around a lot and wasn't, wasn't really present. And, and so I, I would visit my dad kind of every other weekend, and, uh, but he remarried and, and his, his new wife didn't particularly care for me at the time. And that was a, a struggle. 
And so I didn't like going to visit my dad every other weekend for a lot of those reasons. And, and early um, in my life, when, when I would go visit, it felt like, you know, I was leaving with a stranger because he, he wasn't a part of my everyday life. And, and so we had this kind of distant relationship. And because of the divorce, I grew up with this gaping hole in my soul of feeling rejected, unworthy, unwanted. And because of that, I, I struggled to try to find some healing and wholeness for that. And so, like a lot of us, I turned to a lot of different things, you know, trying to live the life that the world says will fill up that gaping wound and that hole of, of just trying to be accepted, trying to be liked, trying to perform so that people will accept me and like me and uh, doing whatever I could to just have people think the best of me so that I, I could feel some sense of value and acceptance and and that led to drugs and alcohol and, and you know, life of promiscuity and, and sex and everything like that. And until I was 20 years old, and uh, God sovereignly reached out from heaven, grabbed the hold of my heart, freed me from all that bondage and that woundedness and brokenness in my life forgave me of all my sin washed it clean and poured his love into my heart and I'll never forget that moment in my life it changed me forever it has absolutely unequivocally shaped me into the man and person I am today and, and I am not who I, I want to be but I'm on a journey we were singing that song song of the highlands uh, and it's really based on the Psalms that David wrote. There's, I think, 16 or 19, I can't remember, Psalms, particularly that David wrote called the Songs of the Ascent. And it was him being in distress and being in trouble. And he would write these songs about ascending, like being in the pits of despair and hopelessness and taking steps toward God who's on the mountain. Father God on the mountain. And I feel like that's been my journey of my life is that I started in that pit and God pulled me out of it. But he doesn't, I didn't just naturally go to the top and, and be with God. I, I've been on this, this journey, this ascent, this journey on to the mountain of God to know God as my father and to feel and know and encounter and experience his love for me. And I think this is, Really, when I thought about this, this is all, not just my challenge. I think it's all of our challenge is to know God as a good, good father and not only know him as a good father, but allow him to love us the way that he created us to be loved. And, and John talks about in the Bible, he, he starts up be loved when he's talking to believers. And I thought about that, that the whole reason that we exist, think about this for a moment. The whole reason that we exist is to be loved by God, by a good father who loves you and created you with the intention in mind to pour out his love upon you. And yet for a lot of us, like myself, you probably find yourself struggling to receive that love and to view God in that way that he is a good father, that his intentions for us are good and for not harm. And so I, I picked out a passage of scripture. One of my favorite books of the Bible is uh, Ephesians. 
and I picked out a portion of scripture in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 2 through 7 that we're going to look at this morning and I'm going to try to unpack by the help of the Holy Spirit for you because I believe that this topic may very well be the biggest deal out of anything that you face as a Christian and I'm going to help you see that this morning you guys doing good you okay I hope it's okay that I just share with you some very real, very raw, um, sometimes unfiltered thoughts and emotions and, and share a little bit of, of my life. And, you know, because I think sometimes we look at pastors and spiritual leaders and think, man, they've arrived. They're on the mountain. They've got it all together. And let me tell you that I don't think, I don't think it's that way. I think as a pastor, we're a little bit ahead of you leading the way up the mountain and so I want to share with you some of my journey and, and my pro, the process through which God has led me to know him as a good father and to encounter his love for me. So I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 1, verses 2 through 7. In the New King James Version, it, it reads like this. This is Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Say that, God our Father. In fact, the Holy Spirit just remembered. I wanted to have you ask you if you would stand while I read the word this morning. Would you do that? Can we honor our good father this morning on Father's Day? We just heard the Apostle Paul remind us that there's grace and peace from God, our father. And this is where it has to become personal to you and to me. That he's not just God, the father. He's God, our father. And he's God, my father. Peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Man, I could drop the mic and we could praise God right there. Isn't that an amazing verse? Verse 4 gets even better. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The title of my message to you this morning is The Love of the Father. The Love of the Father. Would you do me a favor and put your hand on your heart? I want to pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are our good Father, that you are our Father. You're my Father, that you've never left us, you'll never forsake us. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive the truth of who you are this morning. We rebuke every lie of the enemy that has tried to deceive us and distort the truth about who you are. And I pray that the spirit of revelation would open our eyes to see you as you really are, a good, good father. And more importantly, I pray that you would open our hearts to be able to receive your unconditional love that you have for every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you. I already shared with you that uh, when I was 20 years old and I received Christ for the first time, and that was 
That was the first time that I really felt free. Uh, I, was, I was angry. I was bitter towards my parents and, and my father, my earthly father. And because of that, um, there was some things that I struggled with even in thinking about having a relationship with God. And I think for a lot of us, and if you're in the room or you're watching online and you, you struggle with receiving Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and entering into a relationship with him, I could tell you that, that I, can, I can relate to you because I was there for 20 years of my life. And, and it wasn't until that moment where I surrendered all my thoughts, all my feelings, and allowed the love of God to pour over me that he opened my heart. But it wasn't the end of the journey. It was the beginning. And this is where a lot of us, I think, in the Christian faith and life, we, we forget sometimes that because we are saved, we are what the Bible would call born again, that we are birthed into a new life and, and we're free to walk in that newness of life, that it's not the end of the journey. It's just the beginning. And God continually wants us to grow in our understanding of him and his love for us and him and as a father in our life. And, and there is many moments I can look back. I was thinking about the course of my life and moments where I actually can remember having an encounter with his love because here, here's what I believe. This is what the Lord told me when I was praying about this message. And I was asking him, why, why don't we receive more of your love? Why don't we live in your love? Why don't we breathe your love? Why don't we walk in your love like, like Adam and Eve did before the fall? That they walked with you in the cool of the day and that they were, they were objects of your love, that you had this intimate relationship with them, that they knew you and you knew them. And that's what I believe God intended for us, the kind of relationship that he longs to have and, and, and intended from creation to have with us. And God said it to me, he said, there's two things that my people need to understand. They need to perceive and receive me as their father and my love for them perceive and receive. And I started thinking about times in my life where I struggled. And this is interesting. And maybe you could do this little exercise after church sometime, maybe tonight before you go to bed. I started thinking about every time, this is in my Christian life, where I started to struggle. Where I, I felt like in the, in the words of the psalmist David, my fleet, feet began to slip. Where I started to start thinking wrong and, and, and my soul would get disturbed or troubled. And every time I fell into that place, I could always trace it back to a disconnection from the Father's love. And, I, and then I started thinking about all the times where God pulled me out of a place like that and, and where I was really thriving in my relationship with God. And every time I thought about when I was in that kind of state, of peace and joy and just confidence and, and rest, resting in the Father's love. It always was traced back to having an encounter with the Father's love, to experiencing the Father's love. And I know for, for some of us, we might struggle with that. And so this is a real touchy-feely message and everything. Well, let me tell you something, that you need to feel the love of God. God gave you emotions and created you with emotions for a purpose, on purpose, and they, they have a place. And one of the places that I believe God created and uses emotions for is so that we can experience and encounter the love of God for us. 
And yet so many of us struggle with that. And I was thinking back to some times in my life and I remembered one instance when I was a young believer, probably at this point, maybe 21, 22 years old. So I've been walking with Jesus, started that ascent up the mountain at, to knowing God and to being more free in him. That's why I love our vision statement here at Hope Church, that, that, that our vision is to help you to know God. And what we mean by that is to know him intimately, not just know about him. And I think that's a problem for too many of us. We know a lot of scripture. We know a lot about God. We've been to the Bible studies. We've been to church, but we don't know him intimately and personally like he wants to know you. As he knows, as he knows you, he wants you to know him. And he wants to walk with you in that intimate relationship where you know God. And as you do that, you find more and more freedom from the things that hold you back from experiencing and encountering more and more of his love, which when you encounter his love, then you realize, man, I am free to be who God really made me to be in all the, the false identities and personas that we've taken on and allowed the world and the enemy to put on you and tell you, especially men, I want to speak to you men and speak to your hearts and, and tell you that don't believe the hype. Don't believe what the enemy has said about you. Don't believe words that people have spoken over your life because the enemy has his target on you because he wants to take you out. And where he takes you out is he takes out your heart. And God wants to restore it. Sending Jesus to come after you was his way of coming after and restoring the heart of man. To reminding you, God so loved that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whosoever shall believe in him. You won't die. And some of us, we may not be dying physically, but we've been dying slowly a spiritual death because of the lies and the things that the enemy has tried to place on you and put on you and hold you back from seeing God as a good, good father and blocking the flow of his love for you. And I remember being in college and in college, I started reverting back to performing and trying to like get really good grades and I was stressed about that because I wanted to get really good grades so that I could, I could show my earthly father, look, I'm not a loser like I, I was before because I tried to do college and I flunked out. In fact, I was telling my daughter this, um, this story the other day when we had lunch together about how I, I barely graduated high school and I was kind of the black sheep of the family. Nobody in my family even thought I would graduate high school. So that was a big deal. But I transferred schools mid-year, my junior year, and not all the credits transferred. So when we were, came time for graduation, I was one credit shy. So they would not let me walk with all my friends in the class. I, had, I stayed at home that day. And I remember just being grieved in my spirit. And I allowed the, the enemy to just start speaking lies over me. This is before I got saved about how I was worthless. See, you're, you're a loser in all these things and these thoughts and the ways that the enemy would come and try to attack me. And so I took a summer school and I got my diploma in the mail. It was very anticlimactic. And, and even in that, it was just like, woohoo, here, here's, your, here's your certificate. And, and so I had no purpose in life. And then God gets a hold of my heart and now I have purpose and, I, and God put something in my heart that I, I want to go back and I want to, I want to either be a youth pastor or a Christian counselor and I want to help people that were broken like me and that was what God put in my heart after I got saved but now here I am a young man early in my ascent to know God 
and, and find more freedom in him and I'm reverting back to trying to perform and trying to strive to get good grades because I have to get good grades because I have to show people I'm valuable and, and, and I'm smart and, and I'm not a piece of junk. And, you know, these are the thoughts. I mean, I'm just being real with you. And I was at a chapel one night, Sunday nights, we would have chapel at Lee University, great college. So uh, shameless plug, by the way. And I remember being in chapel and Dr. Paul Kahn, the president of the university, was my absolute favorite speaker. And he was my psychology professor for Psych 101. And I absolutely loved him. And he was preaching on Esther. And now you wouldn't think Esther would be like anything that you would like as a man encounter the love of God through. But somehow I remember there was a moment in that chapel where he was talking about Esther and he was talking about how God sovereignly chose Esther as a woman that he would pour out his love and favor and grace upon that she would rise to the occasion for such a time as this. Now of all the people in the world, God saw Esther and loved Esther. And as he was speaking, it was just like the heaven, I'm telling you, it was almost like the heavens opened up and I could feel God saying to me, Lance, I love you the same way. I've loved you ever since you were born. You're my son. And I think I even embarrassed myself because I'm having this moment with God and I stand up in the middle of chapel. He wasn't finished speaking and I just lift my hand to heaven. And it was pretty crazy because I stand up and other people start standing up. And God was moving and you could feel the presence of God so strong in that place. But I'm just standing up and I'm weeping and I'm weeping and it's like God is just pouring his love out on me. And as he's pouring his love out on me, he's, he's beginning to wash away more and more the debris and the residue of the lies and the, and the words of the enemy and those feelings of, of worthlessness and, and just not being enough. And that was one of the times that I encountered the love of God so personally for me. And there's been so many more, but I started thinking, God, how can I help people to encounter more of the reality of who God is and how much he loves them? He said, it starts with perceiving me in the right way. Our view of God unequivocally is the key. He said, they can't receive my love until they understand my love and how, how loving I am. In 1 John 4, it would say that God is love. And I know we live in a world that throws around the word love, you know, so flippantly. I love Chick-fil-A and, you know, I love pancakes and all these things. Those are great things, by the way. But the reality is, is in, the, in our Disney culture and world, we've lost sight of what real love is. And the Bible talks of this, this love called agape love, which is I am committed to you, that I, I am for you, that, that I, have, I am till death do us part, that I love you, I'll never give up on you, I'll never forsake you, I'll never abandon you, I'll never walk away from you, I'll always believe in you, my love will always be here for you, I will give it to you unconditionally, without question, I am committed to love you. And yet for many of us, we don't see it that way and because we don't see it that way and perceive the love of God and who God is we we're not able to receive his love for us and so it starts with perception in fact A.W. Tozer who's one of my favorite uh, pastors preachers uh, theologians he said this in his book the knowledge of the holy what comes into your mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us I'm going to read that to you one more time 
And I want you to let that sink in. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And, and so I want to I help us, this word perception. If you guys can kind of put up this little de facto. Per, to perceive means our perception of God and our thoughts about him. How we see God and what we think about God is unequivocally the most important thing about you. And you might be like, well, Pastor Lance, isn't that a little extreme? Isn't that a little over the top? Isn't that a little hyperbole? Let me tell you, no, it is absolutely not. Because this is the foundation for our Christian faith. If, if we cannot receive the love of God, if we cannot know who God is as a father, as a lover of our soul, we cannot receive the love of God. And if we cannot receive the love of God, we are just doing religious activity. And this is a problem in Christianity. Too many of us, we're, we're living religious lives, but we're not living in and empowered by the love of God. We're not living as sons. We're not living as daughters. We're living as orphans. And, and our perception of God, if we're going to be honest with each other, for many of us is that he's this big, distant old guy in the sky, right? The big man upstairs, you, you name it. You, there's all kinds of different names for God. But if we're going to be honest with each other at a gut level, there's a sense in us that God is disappointed in us. That, that he, he doesn't really like us. He kind of tolerates us. That he puts up with us. That he's distant. That he's untouchable. That we can't really know him. That he, he just, he kind of like, he's angry. He's mad. He's, he's like Santa Claus. He's making a list of who's naughty and nice. And he's, uh, you know, hitting the eject button for some of us to go to hell. And for those of us who are really good, maybe he likes you enough that, you know, he throws you a few bones when you pray. And does some things for you. And it, it may sound funny, but the reality is, is check yourself. The most important thing about you is how you see God. It is unequivocally the foundation for our whole Christian faith that if we don't see God the right way and perceive him the right way, then our whole relationship is based on performance. And too many of us, we're tired, we're worn out, and this is why Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden with burdens. Come to me, for I will give you rest for your souls, and I will give you my yoke because my yoke is light and easy and see this is why the Christian faith feels really tough and hard and weighty for some of us is because we haven't encountered that love everything flows out of the love of God I cannot begin to be a pastor to love you to love my family to love my wife unless I can receive the love of God I don't have any love to give not not any love that really matters in this life I mean there's other types of love yes but the kind of love that I'm talking about is the kind of love that changes people's lives. It transforms you. You'll never be the same when you encounter this kind of love. That's the kind of love I'm talking about. And so we have this very real enemy of our soul that wants to take the love of God and he wants to distort it. Do you know what distortion means? Like his sole purpose, he understands if I could just distort the love of God so that people don't see God as a good, good father and as a loving father that they can come to and not run away from and not hide from. And this is the problem for a lot of us. We sin and we don't realize we're in process. 
That is, in technical theological terms, it's called the sanctification process. We think that we should be better than we are. And God says, I don't need you to be better than you, you are. I need you to accept Jesus, who is better than you are, and walk in the newness of life and love. Listen, trying to be better isn't going to make you better. Receiving the love of the Father compels you to want to please your Father. If I stay married to my wife because of a contractual agreement that I'm married to her, she's my ball and chain, instead of being compelled. Now, that, that contractual agreement, that doesn't compel me not to have an affair. You know what compels me not to have an affair? That I love this woman deeply and how much it would hurt her and hurt my family. And I don't want to hurt her because I love her that deeply. That's what compels me to give my life to her. We cannot be compelled to give our lives for Jesus and walk into the things that he wants simply by trying harder and doing good. We have to receive the love of God. And it is, like Paul would say, it's the love of God that compels me. It is the compulsion. It's the power. It's the energy. It's, it's everything that I'm doing is because I've known God as a good father who loves me, created me to... to be lavish his love on me. Did you, did you get the verbiage that Paul used? He said it was his good pleasure. He said, God takes pleasure in loving you. Do you get that? You have to get it because if you don't get it, you won't be able to receive it. It makes God happy to be able to love you, but we think he's Mr. Grumpy Pants up in heaven, folding his arms, knowing what you did yesterday and being like, mm. Nope, failed again, didn't you? Try again. And he's just saying, no, just come to me. And too many of us, we're hiding from love. We're doing exactly like Adam and Eve did. We're creating for ourselves garments and covering ourselves up, putting on nice clothes and makeup and coming to church with a smiley face and making up our mask, whatever your mask might be. And we walk around, we go to work, we are at home, we come to church with our masks on and, and, and we hide behind the pain. See, because the reality is for a lot of us, if you're in the room and you were blessed to have a good father, you are in the very small minority. I'm talking very small. And you better call up your dad if he's still alive and you better give him a tremendous amount of love because that's well-deserving. But the truth is for many of us, sons and daughters, we've struggled, right? And, and, and there's, there's a few things that we've struggled with because one of the things that distorts, and let me give you a definition of distortion. Distortion is the act of twisting or altering something out of its true, natural, or original state. Think about that. It's the act of twisting or altering something out of its true, natural, original state. That's Merriam-Webster's. Oxford Dictionary says it's the action of giving a misleading account or impression. Now look at Genesis chapter 3. I want to take you on a little journey. Now the serpent. Think about a serpent. What is a serpent? It twists and contorts. It's distorting itself to be able to move around. This is what our enemy does. He just, he's a distorter of the truth. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said, She does good at first. And the woman said, 
to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree in which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. In verse four, then the serpent said to the woman, he's lying to you. You surely won't die. And then he said, he goes on to, to tell her that, that God doesn't want you to eat of it because he knows that if you eat of it, that you will become like him. You'll become your own God, knowing good and evil. Listen, this is ultimately what, what the enemy was saying. Now, what he didn't say was God said, the first thing he said is you are free. You're free to eat of any of the tree in the, in the garden. You are free. It's all yours except this one. Why the one? Because love demands a choice. True love is not true love if you don't have a choice. God had to put the tree there so that you would have to choose, am I going to love God and honor him as a good father and know him and be in relationship with him? Or am I going to take life into my own hands and become my own God? And I get to determine what's right and wrong. Now you look in our society and our culture today, this is exactly what's happening. We have become our own little G gods. I get to determine what's right. I get to determine what's wrong. If I want to be this, I'm going to be this. It doesn't matter how God created me and the identity that he gave me through my birth and through my DNA. I get to decide I'm a little G God. But the serpent and the enemy distorted the truth that God is a good, good father. What he really did is said, can you trust God? He's holding out on you. He's lying to you. He doesn't want you to do that because he knows that you'll be like him and you'll, you'll be empowered. But the reality is, is he already gave them power as his son and daughter. He said he gave them all authority over the earth. They had it. They had his power. He deceived them. He distorted the truth. And this is exactly what the enemy will do. How will he do it? Through your life experience. Through the way that you've had experiences with your father. And for many of us, this is, this is the problem. Look at, for many of us, we've had fathers who have neglected us. When they neglect you, you feel unimportant. And then that becomes your view of God. Some of us, we've had absent fathers, whether it's through divorce or separation or death or they're simply just not present. They're physically there, but they're not there. They're absent from a relationship with you. Some of us have had abusive fathers where they mentally, physically, emotionally, sexually, or even spiritually abused you. And by the way, uh, that spiritual abuse and some of these that I'm, I'm mentioning don't just come from our natural fathers. They can come from father figures or they can come from spiritual leaders. That's what makes me, me tremble at night that I would represent the heart of the Father well to you and not abuse the position that God has put me in. And unfortunately, some of us have experienced spiritual abuse. And I believe that God wants to bring healing for some of us in that area. There's, there's another types of fathers that we've encountered, controlling fathers, where they've been domineering, oppressive, just on you. You know, disciplinarians, but over the top, just keep pushing you down. We've had fathers who have withheld their love and their blessing and their affirmation, deficiencies that lead to profound lack of self-acceptance 
and encountering love. I'll never forget, I was at a men's conference once and, and Dr. Robert Lewis was, was speaking to a small group of men that I happened to be able to be there and be in the front row. And he was talking about the topics of dads. And he was saying how there was a 65-year-old businessman in his office, multi-millionaire, potentially today billionaire, successful, done it all, achieved it all, reached what in this world say is success. And he said he sat in my office and bawled like a baby when I asked him if he ever heard his father say he loved him or if he was proud of him. Most men haven't heard those words from their fathers. And when we don't, we can feel like God is withholding his love for me. And we could view God the way we've seen our earthly fathers. The last one is this, is performance-based. Like, our father's there, but you gotta be the captain of the football team if I'm gonna love you. You gotta make the play. You don't make the play, man, I wish you were better. It's always, you gotta do more, achieve more. And love, you, you learn growing up like that. If you've had a father like that, you learn that love is conditional. That I get to receive love if I perform well or if I do this or that. And so these are all the ways that the enemy has distorted our view of God by allowing the distortion to come through our natural fathers and, and, and people we look up to as father figures. And, and I, I believe that one of the things that the Holy Spirit needs to do here um, as we close the service is, is just show us clearly, let us have a revelation that we have viewed God in a distorted mindset and way of seeing him. Because I want to I point out to you a couple things before we close. God chose you to be loved. Think about that. He chose you. He picked you. God, he chose you from the foundation of the world. Let that blow your mind here for a second. Look at Ephesians 1.4. Just as he, what? Chose us. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God looked through the corridor of time. He saw you. He saw when you would be born. He said, I knew you even in your mother's womb. You are not an accident. Even if your parents didn't plan you, God planned you. And God planned to choose you to be his son and be his daughter. God shows you. You have to get that. You have to see God as a father who chose you. The second thing is this. Our father demonstrated his love for us through Jesus. Look at Colossians 1.5. Think about this. The way that Jesus came, the way that he lived, the world says, we've never seen God. Well, I beg to differ. Colossians 1.15 says, the Son, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. What, what Paul is saying there is that Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God. Now, he showed us who God is and his heart for people through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not only through his death, but the way he lived. That's why I'm so glad God set it up this way that we did this author of life message series leading up to this message. Why? Because you got to see through seven signs the person of Jesus and more importantly, you got to see the heart of God. That, that he comes and gets invited to a wedding and the wine runs out 
And, they, and he's like, what does that have to do with me? But he knows how disruptive this is going to be to these two people's beautiful day that they'll remember forever. And he makes wine. He turns water into wine so that the party and the celebration can continue. That's how much he loved them. He did that for them. Think about it. God cares about the details of your life that much. He loves you that much. He's not some distant God who doesn't know what's going on in your life. He knows the details and he, he's there in the details of our life. And then next we saw this man come to him who his son was, was dying, this official, this high-ranking guy. And he comes to Jesus and he asks him and Jesus through his spoken words, through the power of his spoken words says, your son will not die. He will live. And through the power of the spoken word of God, the young boy comes back to life and he heals him. This is his heart for people. And then he's walking by. He sees a man who's been paralyzed for life on his mat. And he, and he says, get up take up your mat and walk and he heals this man who's been paralyzed his whole life and man I was paralyzed my whole life until I was 20 years old and God said get up get out of your seat and go to the front because I got more for your life just like this man he wasn't really living he was existing and too many of us are existing and not really living and God out of his love for you and me he demonstrated his love through the person of Jesus come on can't you not see it do you see it the Bible is the greatest love story ever written. The whole thing, front to back, is one big tragic love story of God longing and creating his people to lavish his love on us and us rejecting it. And him not giving up. Not giving up. The reckless love of God that would leave the 100 to go after the one. And I'm so grateful I was the one and you were the one he demonstrated his love Romans 5 5 now hope does not disappoint some of you the Holy Spirit you're starting to hope that maybe you can really encounter this love and that love can change you let me tell you something that hope will not disappoint you things in this world will disappoint you God will never disappoint you when you put your hope and trust in him now hope does not disappoint listen because the love of God has been what? Poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, we were weak. We had no power to please God and be accepted by God. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a righteous man will die for one, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Listen, God, but God, but God, but God demonstrates his own love towards you and me that while we were still sinning, while we were still rejecting him, while we were still living in darkness, while we were still being our own gods, while we were living a life far from God, that Christ died so that God could demonstrate his love for you and for me while I was still a sinner. Not when I was cleaned up, not when I was good, not when I was the pastor on the stage. Well, now, yeah, maybe I could approve you and like you and be pleased with you. Maybe. No, while I was still at my worst, God sent his one and only son to demonstrate this is how much I love you. I'm going to come down out of heaven, take on flesh, 
and I'm gonna take on sin. I'm gonna go toe to toe with the devil and I'm gonna take out death, your greatest enemy. And I'm gonna remove any barrier. When Jesus said, it is finished, the veil in the Holy of Holies tore in two, symbolizing there's nothing in the way. It's broken. Can I tell you something? There's nothing in the way this morning close with this story and the last my last point is this you've been accepted by God because of Jesus accepted verse 5 says having been predestined having predestined us you me to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will did you hear that God adopted you now unless you understand Roman adoption this won't even that's kind of a cool, cool scripture, Pastor Lance. No, it's much more than that. Do you know that in Roman culture that when a young man grew up in his father's home, when he came of age, which was typically the age of 13, that in Roman culture, a father at that point had to decide, am I pleased with this young man? Does he have weakness? Does he have any deformities? Is he, is he smart enough? Is he good enough? And, and he would actually have to decide, is he going to continue to be my son? See, in Roman culture, there was one form of adoption, and the form of adoption was this. And when a young man became of age to become a man, that the father would have to adopt him as his son. And when he adopted him as his son, he officially became his son. And when he officially became his son, he received the, the inheritance as a son in line with the father. In other words, everything that the father had, he also had. See, they didn't do inheritance like we do today, where when the father dies, then you get the inheritance. And you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and maybe struggling and, you, and you're pinching pennies because you have nothing and you're just waiting for the father to die so that you could receive the inheritance. No, no, no wasn't like that. The father had to choose to adopt the son. And when he chose to adopt him, he became an heir with him and he, he got his inheritance, meaning that he didn't wait till the father died. He actually, everything the father had was his. Oh, come on, preach to us, Pastor Paul this morning. Thanks be to God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. God is not holding out on you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. No distortion of the truth of who God is. I have a memory of my father. I was playing football with a couple of friends. We had him in my yard and my dad was the, he was the, the quarterback for both teams, you know, I forget what they called that, the de facto quarterback, whatever it was. And my dad threw me a pass and I was going over the middle to catch it. And just as I was about to catch it, one of these kids from the neighborhood 
punked me and he came in and he hit me in the ribs and knocked me down and knocked the wind out of me and I'm laying on the floor and I'm sucking wind. But I'll never forget this moment. I looked up off the ground and I see my dad picks this kid up and he gives him the biggest spanking I ever saw. <laughs> he probably gets sued today. But I remember I couldn't breathe. I'm laying on the ground, but I look up and I see that's my dad sticking up for me. And I felt like right now in this moment that you need to be reminded that your dad is sticking up for you. That he wants to take every lie that's been spoken over you, every view, every, the relationship maybe that you had of your father that got distorted by your earthly father, that God wants to, he, he's ready to whoop up on the devil and defeat every lie and every weapon that the enemy is using to distort your perception of who God is, how much he loves you, how he is a good, good father, and to, to hold you back from receiving the love of God. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to just stay seated. I want you to posture yourself in a place of rest. You don't have to work for this. See, Jesus paid the price. See, we think God is mad at us. Can I tell you? On the cross, the Bible says that the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. Can you get this? The story doesn't get more crazy. God himself takes on flesh, lets humans, the very people that he came to love, beat him, reject him, spit on him. And then he says, it was for the love of you that I was able to find joy in going to the cross. Joy, taking that beating. And when he hung on that cross and he took on your sin and my sin, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that you could be accepted. He took on the wrath of God so you could have, walk in the favor of God, in the pleasure of God. Come on, just put your hand on your heart. say for people to receive your love this morning but I pray just like I had that moment that somebody here would encounter your love that through encountering your love that they would be changed forever never look back today you're a marked by the Father. He said, I had a plan and purpose for you for being here today so that I could pour out my love upon you so that you could know me as your Father receive your adoption as a son or a daughter and let me just love on you receive his love.